person. And uh, we're continuing on with our Truth for Living uh, questions. And so we're going to begin, what we're going to do is we're going to do five questions and answers at a time that as we review them every week. So we'll do five of them and then we'll move on to the next five and we'll keep reviewing those five. So the, the idea again of catechism is to remember these questions and answers so that we can be better, um, better founded in and better uh, solidified in our faith. So the first question that we, that we began with, who, who remembers the first question? What is the Bible? What is the Bible? So, and again, we talked about how, why do we begin with the Bible? Well, the Bible is the foundation for everything that we believe, and, and that's why it's the, one of the first questions we talk about. So what is the Bible? Well, the Bible is the only inspired, written Word of God. It's above all other books in wisdom, power, and authority. And the passage that went with that was 1 Thessalonians 2.13. We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, and we're going to sort of hit on that a little bit more uh, this evening, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So again, Paul provides some clear indication and clear direction for us as to what the Word of God is. Second question. Who can remember the second question? It's a longer question. You know the answer, but not, oh, that's all right. So how can we know that the Bible is the true Word of God? And the answer is the Spirit of God helps us know that the Bible is true and that it is the Word of God. And we spend some time discussing, you know, are there s supposed, like, objective or, or outside of the Bible uh, proofs that show that the Bible is true? And there are things that help to establish that for us, to help um, build confidence in God's Word. But ultimately, the only way we are convinced of the truth of God's Word is by the Spirit of God, who, as we're going to see, is instrumental in bringing about the Word of God. Um, so it is the Spirit that helps us to know that the Bible is true and that it is the Word of God. And I think we also talked about, so what should our expectations be about people who don't have the Spirit of God? What, what, what is their attitude going to be towards God's Word? Are they going to accept it as the Word of God? No, they're not. That's only, that only comes about through a supernatural work of the Lord. And we saw 1 Corinthians 2, verse 12. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us or given us by God. And I think there's a, a real hope and confidence in the reality that the Spirit works within us. He comes from God, but He gives us the ability not just to know truths, but to understand those truths and to implement those truths in our lives and to live them out. So that was question two. Question three is what we're looking at this week. How, then, did God give us the Bible? So, as we've sort of done in these last these first two, I'm going to throw it out there and just see what your answer would be. If you already memorized the answer, be quiet, all right? Um, how did God give us the Bible? What would your answer to that question be? Did he throw a book down from heaven? All right, so he appointed men inspired by the Holy Spirit. Any 
other answers someone wants to give? Nicole, you're getting an A for the class today. You're, you're on top of it. So, so yes, um, God inspired holy men, and I forgot the T there, to write maybe that Irish vibe from, from, uh, from Stephanie's coming in there. The holy men, oh, write. Holy men to write down his words exactly as he wanted. So how did we get the Bible? Well, God inspired holy men to write down his words exactly as he wanted. And the passage for this is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Now, just to quickly go back to uh, the, an- the answer here, the term that's used here is inspired, all right? and that's not a term that we find in this particular passage. Um, 10,000 Sunday school bonus points if you can tell me what passage does use the word inspired. 2 Timothy 3.16. So all... What, what we yeah, so, so in, that's where the, the term, the, the underlying Greek term is the term theopneustos, and that's not important so much as the understanding of what that means. It means breathed out by God. Um, and that term inspired comes from, so if you have ever heard the term spiration, right, that has the idea of breathing, and so that's the connection back, that's where the, the, the inspired word, or the term inspired comes from. So Paul makes this statement to Timothy, essentially saying, you're going to build your ministry on something, you need to build it on the word of God, because it is that which God has breathed out, it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect or complete, lacking nothing. Uh, but our passage is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. And what, so inspiration is the, de- is the definition or it's, it's the label given to how God gives us his word. But here in Peter, we sort of see it described as to how it works, right? How does inspiration actually work? And so that's what we're going to talk about this evening is the act of inspiration. How, how did the Bible come to be the Word of God? How did, it, how did God use men to produce a book truly written by men, but yet containing His Word? And Peter gives us that answer for us in, in the verse that we're looking at. So, a couple things that I want us to, three main things I want us to consider about the act of inspiration. The first, inspiration is a holy, supernatural act. Now, not holy from the sense of holy, 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 but completely. It is, I probably should have used that term, that would have sound better. It is a completely supernatural act. Notice what Peter says here. No prophecy was ever produced by what? The will of man. Inspiration is a holy, supernatural act. It's not as though, uh, this is, and this is what separates the Bible from every other book. All right? Every other book written is written by a person who sat down and said, I'm going to write this story. I'm going to, to you know, provide whatever I'm providing, whether it be a, a novel of fiction, whether it be a, you know, a textbook on how certain things work, wh- whether it be you know, a dictionary, somebody sat down and said, I am going to produce this. What is the driving force? What is the, is the 
is the, the thing that lies behind the Bible. It is not man's will. And I think it's important to keep that in mind because, again, the world, which doesn't have the Spirit, is going to look at the Bible and they're going to say, who wrote this? Who produced this? It was men. Um, particularly in our day and age, people will accuse the Bible of being produced so that a particular group of people could exploit other people, that, that it was produced for the very purpose of consolidating power and then using that power to abuse other people. And they, that's what they'll say. They'll say, that's why the Bible came to be. But it was not produced by man's will. It was fully and completely an act of God. In fact, God was so concerned that he reveal himself to mankind through his word, he was so concerned with his word being produced that some of the prophets who spoke his word did so even at times against their own will. So there's two examples of this that we're going to look at. The, at the first one, and we're not going to look at the passage because it's sort of a lengthy passage, but we, I think we all know the story of Balaam, all right? Balaam was hired by a heathen king to curse Israel, all right? Now, Understand, I'm not saying Balaam is a prophet of God, all right? I'm not, I'm not, giving, I'm not giving that point out because Balaam was not. Balaam was clearly a false prophet. But what I am showing is that God produces his intended results even against the will of, of people wanting to do bad things to God's people. So Balaam gets up, he goes to, ble- he goes to curse Israel, and what, in, what ends up coming out of his mouth? Blessing. He does this several times, and the king, you know, the heathen king was like, what are you doing? You're not supposed to bless these people. And again, it just shows the way that God is revealing himself to mankind, um, particularly how he's revealing the love that he has for Israel. Um, God is even so gracious in this to have revelation about him given to, to Balaam through a very unusual source. Does anyone know what that unusual source is? The donkey. Right? Balaam's own donkey talks to him. You know, he's beating him, and he's like, why are you beating me? What's your problem here? Don't you see the man standing in the way here? Um, and so that, again, is, is showing that God is not limited by even the desire of men. But we also see this particularly in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called, who knows what the name that generally applied to Jeremiah? The weeping prophet. Um, why is he called the weeping prophet? Well, He weeps, I think, partially because Israel persists in sinful rebellion. Uh, He weeps because God told him, I'm going to send you to these people, and they are not going to listen to you, all right? And I'm, you know, Jeremiah, if if God came to me and said, you're going to preach to people and nobody's going to listen to you, I'm not sure I would be all that thrilled about that that assignment. And yet that's exactly what Jeremiah is told. And so, This begins to wear on Jeremiah. And so we come to Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. And notice what Jeremiah says. He says, O Lord, you have deceived me. And I was deceived. You're stronger than I, and you have prevailed. I've become a laughingstock all the day. Everyone mocks me. For whenever I speak, I cry out, I shout, violence and destruction. So, What's interesting here is Jeremiah is coming, and, and what do, do people like to hear violence and destruction? Is that what people want to hear that, that's coming from the word of the Lord? No. 
People want to hear smooth things. They want to hear easy things given to them. But every time Jeremiah gets up, the word of the Lord has come to him and says, you're going to be judged. In fact, your, judge is, your judgment is going to be violent and it's going to destroy your nation. And so Jeremiah comes to a point where he says, the word of the Lord that I'm tasked with speaking, it's a reproach. It's a derision from me. People look at me and they mock me. They hate me. Oh, there's old down-in-the-mouth Jeremiah again. Which, by the way, do, do we not find Christians saying that about preachers who proclaim righteousness, proclaim Christ's righteousness and judgment upon sin for those who turn from him? Absolutely. So this, this wears on Jeremiah, and he makes this statement. He says, if I say... You know what? I'm done. I'm not going to proclaim the word of the Lord. If I, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, what happens to Jeremiah? There is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up where? In his bones. I'm weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Um, essentially, Jeremiah is saying that God is so concerned with getting his word across it is it is clearly the work of the will of god not the product of the will of man and jeremiah is an example of how that works we also see this in one of the passages we already looked at again paul says i thank god constantly that when you receive the word of god which you heard from us you accepted it not as the word of who men but as what it really is. So whose will produced it? Not man, but the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. So inspiration is a wholly supernatural act. It is not something that is dependent upon man or natural processes. It is, it is not the product of the imaginations or the rational thoughts of the biblical writers it was not through their power or their strength that it was produced it is a supernatural book so if it's a supernatural book then what type of effect is it going to have on people today a natural or a supernatural effect supernatural effect in fact that's exactly what the writer of hebrews tells us in hebrews chapter 4 he says in hebrews chapter 4 the word of god so here's this book all right? And what does he say about this book? It is what? It's alive. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. So, you know, you can't say that about Harry Potter. You know, you pick up a Harry Potter book, it's not alive. It's not going to affect you the same way that God's Word is. You can't say that about um, a math textbook. I mean, if anything, it's, it has a deadening effect, at least on me, all right? But what we can say about God's Word is that it's living, it's active, it's working. It's, it's like a sword. And what does that sword do? Well, it pierces into the immaterial part of man. Notice the, notice the places where the Word of God works. In the soul, in the spirit the joints and the morrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of what? The heart. 
So God's word is supernaturally produced, and as a supernaturally produced book, it has a supernatural effect on humanity. It works within us wholly by God's will. So scripture does not function like any other literature on earth. It's living, it's active, it is supernatural, and it works supernaturally. Secondly, inspiration then, so it's a supernatural act, but what does it produce? What's the result of inspiration? God's words in men, right? That is what the result of inspiration is. And notice what Peter says again in 2 Peter 1.21. Men spoke, all right, so men really spoke, but what they spoke was from who? From God. Men spoke from God. Inspiration produces God's words through his chosen vessels or in men. Now, it's important to note, Peter says that the men, who's doing the speaking here? Men are. Men are doing the speaking. But the content of their speaking, what they speak, it finds its content from God. Now, this is, this is exactly how God has chosen to reveal himself to mankind. We see this in the law. And if you've been following us on Sunday evenings, we're going back to a, a, a well-known passage that we spent a lot of time looking at. But notice, notice what God says about the role of the prophet in Israel. I will raise up for them a prophet like you, like Moses, from among their brothers. And what is God going to do? I'm going to put my words where? In his mouth. He shall speak to them all that I command him. So whose words really are they? They're God's words. But they are God's words in the mouth of his chosen servant. Now, I think it's important to note that we do not believe that inspiration continues today. All right, God has spoken in the, these last times, and in, in times before he spoke in many ways and, and different, different, different methods, but in these last times he's spoken to us in who? who did, Hebrews, in his son, in Jesus Christ. God has spoken in his son, and then his son has sent out the apostles. And the apostles were given authority from Christ to say these things. And the word that the Son has given through himself and through his, his apostles is sufficient for us. So what this means then, when if, if the Bible is a supernatural book, if the Bible is God's words, not men's words, then what should be the focus of our time when we come together as God's people? What should be the thing we look to? Should you care what I think about the 2022 election? Is, is my are my opinions or anybody's opinions on these things really to be the focus of what happens when God's people come together? The answer is no. My ideas, my, my thoughts, your ideas, your thoughts are not what matter. What does matter is what God has said. The Word needs to be the center of what we do. Because it's through the Word of God that we are able to hear from God. Two things happen in worship. We speak to God through praise. We speak to, each, we speak to God through prayer. Um, we speak to each other. 
as we sing songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. God speaks to us. This happens in worship. How does God speak to us? Through His Word. Not through ecstatic experiences, not through some sort of um, amazing, um, supernatural, mystical experience, but through the Word of God. So inspiration produces God's Word in men. And then finally, inspiration depends on the Holy Spirit. So it's a supernatural act that gives God's word to men. So what is the medium through which this supernatural act occurs? It occurs through the Holy Spirit. And again, notice what is said here. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit. Quick, logical proof for the deity of the Holy Spirit in this passage. Whose words are put in man's mouth. What does Peter say? Men spoke from who? God. How does that happen? Through the Holy Spirit. So we can make a a conclusion then, or at least an implication, that Peter is saying the Holy Spirit is God himself. Robert? Right. Yeah, right. Yeah, Right, yeah, absolutely. So inspiration depends on the Holy Spirit. Um, The means by which God chose to produce his words in man's mouth was through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's interesting. We believe in a God who is omnipotent, which means that he is a God who can choose to do things in any way that is in accordance with his character and nature, right? That's what we mean. When we talk about God being omnipotent, we are not saying that he can do anything because God cannot do anything. He cannot violate his character. Um, But when God chooses to do something, he can either limit the way in which that's done or he can choose to do other things. But in his word, he's not going to contradict what he said. Notice again what Peter says here. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. The implication here is that this is the way that God has always chosen to reveal himself to mankind in the written word. It doesn't happen any other way. It's impossible, from what Peter is saying, for God to reveal himself in a salvific way outside of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, and I would even argue, because we, we know that God has revealed himself in, in two particular places, all right? He's revealed himself in his word. And where's the other place that God has revealed himself? In creation, in nature, in everything that has been made. But what do we do with that truth we see in nature? We suppress it. We push it. It's like a fire hydrant blowing up in our face. And we say, I'm going to deny this. How does that, how is that denial overcome? Only through who? The spirit. So, even, even natural theology requires dependence on the Holy Spirit. Um, so Peter is making it abundantly clear. This is the way. There is no other way that God reveals himself to mankind. He's chosen the Spirit to be the means by which he does this. And to show how clear this is, even Christ's own words. Guess who inspired those words? The Holy Spirit. As we see here in Luke chapter 4, 17 through 21, 
Jesus begins his ministry. He goes back to his hometown. He goes back to Nazareth, takes the, the scroll of Isaiah, finds the place where it said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me, Christ, to proclaim good news to the poor, liberty to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus says all this. He rolls up the scroll puts it back in its place, sits down, and everyone in the synagogue is looking at him. And what does he say? Today, this has been fulfilled. In other words, I'm the one who has the Spirit anointed upon me to proclaim the gospel. God is revealing himself through means of the Holy Spirit. Now, I mentioned here how inspiration depends on the Holy Spirit. The term that Peter uses is he was carried along by the Holy Spirit. What does that idea carried along means? Well, it describes the energy or the power used in producing God's word. Not only was God's word not produced through the ideas or the thoughts of mankind, but also God's word, the energy, the power that produced it was the Spirit's power and not man's. These holy men were truly just instruments in the Redeemer's hand. They were woodwinds. And if you think about that idea of the breath of God, they were the bellows, but bellows left to themselves, they don't make any noise. What has to be pressed through the bellows? Wind. And so it is the wind of God. It is, it is the breath of God breathing these things out so that the Spirit produced them through them. And the Spirit was not influenced by these men. Rather, these men were, were influenced, and they produced the Word of God through the Holy Spirit. Now, this doesn't mean, and I think we have to be careful that we don't deny what is obvious. It doesn't mean that the, the characteristics of the vessels or, or the instruments doesn't come through. Um, you know, you can take a plastic saxophone, and you can play, take a brass saxophone. Do they sound different? Yes. They each have a particular character, but they only sound when the performer blows his breath through them. So we, can, we find that the styles of Paul and Peter are different. The way that James or John write is, writes is, def, is different than perhaps Luke or Matthew. Their own characteristics, their own personalities come, do come out of them, but that, but, what, but that part of them was the part of them that produced, this, or the, the scripture that was produced by them came not by their intentions of their character, but by the work of the Holy Spirit. And Peter actually contrasts this in his own life earlier on in this passage. Um, so Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 through 20, he says this. He says, First of all, and this is important, we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what Peter essentially is saying is, I didn't come here to tell you fantastic stories. In fact, when I gave you the gospel, it wasn't about describing these, these ecstatic experiences. And then he says this, he says, you know what, I was an eyewitness of Christ's majesty. What's he referring to here? The transfiguration, all right? Now, how many of you would have liked to have been there, right? I would have loved to have been there. Um, 
Peter was there. How many of you would have loved to sit at Peter's feet and hear him tell the story? Can you imagine? I mean, it it probably was going to be a, a magnificent story. Notice what Peter says. He said, and he tells the story. When Christ received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven. We were with him on the holy mountain. So, you know, you can imagine, I mean, would you love to go up to Peter and say, what did that sound like? What, what did God's voice actually sound like? It, it describe to me the, the, the glimmering, shining glory of Christ. Or, or what was Moses like? What was Elijah like? Like, there, there's, there's so many things that are going on in, in that passage. And, I mean, we would love to hear the details. Notice what Peter says. All right, I've, I can tell you all about that. But you know what? You and I have something that's even more fully confirmed. What is it? The prophetic word. This, this passage blows me away every time I look at it. Because Peter is actually saying it is better for you to pick up the inspired word of God that was created by holy men who were moved by the Holy Spirit so that it was not the will of men, but it was the will of God. It was God's word. It is better for you to look at this than to hear my ecstatic experience of what I saw on the mountain. Ben? Second Peter. You're right. It is Second Peter. I apologize for that. Yes, it is Second Peter. I've been, I've been preaching through First Peter, so that's why it goes on there. But thank you. No, that's a good point. It is Second Peter. So that is, that is of more value than some ecstatic experience that someone can talk about. It's more fully confirmed than even Peter, his, uh, Peter himself telling them that he saw the transfigured Christ. So what are we to do with that? What are we to do with what we have that is better than hearing Peter talk about Jesus transfigured on the, mount of, on the Holy Mount? Pay attention to it. Huh? Oh, to know it, Yeah. Yeah, to know it. Pay attention to it. It is the lamp shining in a dark place. It is the only place that you can go for for light in this time. And it will shine until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And then we come to our passage. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from man's own interpretation. We live in a day and age where people are intrigued by good stories. We see this in the fact that Hollywood and media have driven so much of American society. People go to the movies because they want to hear a good story. They want to see something amazing. Um, Has this crept into the church? Absolutely. So if you go back even, you know, three, four years, five years, six years, there was a sort of a, um, a fad among Christian authors to write about how they had gone to heaven. There was a book by a boy who his father essentially ghost wrote on behalf of his son explaining how his son went to heaven. Um, there's even books that talk about people going to hell and they're explaining what it was like for them to go to hell. And, and 
what they'll do is they'll do the, they'll do the book tour thing. They'll, they'll go on the Today Show and they'll talk about these experiences. And, and people are intrigued by what these people have to say about their experiences. The problem with these experiences, they are Christless. And any message that does not point us to Jesus Christ, anyone, whether it be an angel or a minister of God who brings a gospel other than the gospel of Jesus Christ is to be accursed. And so Peter is saying, look, it doesn't matter if, even if I tell you this story that I was an eyewitness of, you have something more fully confirmed. The prophetic word of God that God has given to us through his spirit, placing his words in man's mouth so that they produce his word. So how did God give us the Bible? God inspired holy men to write down his words exactly as he wanted. And our passage is 2 Peter 1.21. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, the truth we find in it. May we cling to it. May we love it. May it be for us, the thing that we pay, we pay careful attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place. Father, may we found our lives completely on your word. Father, work in our hearts that we may love you more as we see you revealed in your word. We pray this in Christ's precious name, pleading his blood. Amen. Thanks for joining us here in person. Thanks for joining us online. Have a great week.